Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast CGB. Its mission, to explore strange bad games, to seek out old systems and obscure titles, to boldly go where most podcasts have already gone, Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. And we've got an exciting episode planned ahead. But before we go forward, we need to look behind. We would like to thank Matt for joining us, uh, Super Gains Bros, on our show last time. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Please follow all of his stuff. We'll have all of his podcasts. Box Trick is the retro gaming one, so you may enjoy that. He has a bunch of other ones, as well as YouTube and all those. So follow his social medias and enjoy them. And thank you, Matt, for joining us. We appreciated your helping us understanding Metal Gear, since I don't think Zach and I would have been able to do Metal Gear justice if we covered it ourselves. We no, not at all. don't do justice to things that we know well, so let alone not knowing well. I really only know about one video game, and that game is Jack's Quest. And Sonic. And Sonic. I guess I know a little about Baldur's Gate and Journeyman. We we covered Journeyman 83 episodes ago. That's right. You know what we might have to do at some point? Is do like a classic Gaming Brothers remastered and do maybe a deeper dive into Journeyman? Oh, I don't yeah. know. See like anything we, c- we left out? And Yeah, uh, we could go and listen to it and just do Journeyman Redux. Yeah, yeah, we'll do Journeyman Cutting Room Floor Edition, you know, Ooh, just the uh, all the stuff edition. that maybe we maybe we didn't get into as close of details. I don't know if we did, like, the numbers in that one. No, I don't think we did numbers back then. Perhaps we can do some actual research. Anyway, let's talk about games that we've recently been playing before we get into the meat, Ooh, into the, the, steak meat. the steak of this podcast, into the sirloin of this podcast. I, I feel like uh, our podcast, if it could equate to any sandwich, it would probably be equated to like uh, a bologna sandwich on white bread. Yeah. Um, where each of the bread pieces are byway pass and are recently played are disappointing and quickly dissolve and and the bologna is just overall disappointing (laughs) or better yet we are like a toast sandwich which was like that victorian age thing where you took two pieces of bread and you put a slice of toast between them and that was it was called a toast sandwich and so if you think about it it sounds like a novelty, but it's actually really sad. And I think that's our podcast. That's true. It's true. Sounds like a good idea until you realize it's just all bread. That's <laughs> just all bread and a little butter. So <laughs> speaking of a little butter, I'm going to ask you what game you've been playing. So what game have you been playing? Well, recently I decided to play The Logical Journey of the Zumbinis, or also known as Zumbinis Logical Journey, which is what it's called in the remake, which I was not playing. I was actually just playing the original 1996 version. That sounds like a logical journey that you took. It was a logical journey that I did take. 
It's a educational puzzle software computer game that was developed and published by Broderbun Software. Oh. Who was involved with Prince of Persia and also yes, yeah. uh, Carmen San Diego, which is a game that we have yet to talk about, but we will. And it was the remake was actually done by the Learning Company, which I, I believe is just Broderbun. I think they just got they just changed into the Learning Company. They evolved into the Learning Company. I'm going to talk a little bit about about the Zumbinis. Talk about Zumbinis, please. The Zumbinis are a, a creature that looks like a blueberry. If you took him, like I, I think it was like a mashup between like a Mr. Potato head and a blueberry so like the theory of a mr potato head on a blueberry so you design these creatures called zubinis that have 625 possible combinations of hair eye nose and feet and there's two zubinis feats that have actual legs and feet the walker and the roller skater the other zubinis have just converted their body they're like cyborg zubinis so like one has a spring another is like a motorcycle and the other is a helicopter yeah i see that i'm looking at a picture of the like character creator i think yes they are a little odd however uh you need to you can't make all the same type of zubini you have to mix and match be diverse with your zubini family because you will have to go through an island and get them through different puzzles and puzzles may be dependent on what your zubini looks like Uh, like the initial puzzle is there's these two bridges and there's these two cave faces and they will be allergic to one type of your zubini and you have to determine what the cave face is allergic to and put the zubinis over the right passageway or else they get left behind and you have to continue on in your journey eventually you will find a camp where you'll be able to store zubinis and you will be able to restart and bring more zubinis over as your eventual goal is to navigate these mini game puzzles 16 zubinis at a time so until you get 625 zubinis across which is a lot of puzzles that's a sure number of zubinis <laughs> well they're starting zubiniville so they need enough to populate i guess yeah i'm not exactly sure how zubinis reproduce since they're blueberries but uh perhaps they bud or something like that yeah how do blueberries reproduce through pollination right maybe they're pollinated by bees well anyway i've gone on far too long about zoominis and this is not going to be our zoomini gone long enough about zoominis <laughs> i feel like we could do an episode on just zoominis i feel like could. we could probably do an episode on a lot of broderbun stuff because broderbun does a lot of weird stuff for their yeah. education stuff yeah their education do, do. games like uh carmen san diego a little weird some minis are a little weird and other things that broderbrunt has done is a little weird so zach what have you been playing seth recently i've been playing a game called heretic shadow of the serpent riders i feel like you're always playing some type of like heretic type game i've been in a mood heck is it weren't you playing like is it hectic a game hexton 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 is a game but i wasn't playing hexton i was playing strife yeah i know you were playing strife but were you also playing hexton a while ago no i don't think so i don't know i feel like you've talked about heretic before anyway go ahead so anyway heretic or Shadow of the Serpent Riders is, I would say, I described Strife earlier. Strife is a, you know, first person RPG, action RPG, open world in the Doom engine. So it's Doom engine, but, it, you know, you had NPCs, you had, you know, villains, you had missions. Heretic is nothing like that because Heretic is just Doom with a fantasy setting. So it's right. pretty much just Doom, but this time you have magic instead of guns. It, it's 
fairly straightforward. So I actually currently have a copy of it for MS-DOS that I actually picked up a collection of the Heretic Hexen titles uh, when they're on sale because they're on sale for like a dollar in the Steam Summer Sale. I also have Hexen as an N64 title. Um, so Hexen is the sequel. It's called Hexen Beyond Heretic. The N64 Hexen is not very good, but I do own it. So that's fun. Uh, yeah. We often own things that aren't very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's like a trend. Now, Heretic was developed by Raven Software, published by id Software through GT Interactive, and released in 1994. It's a fun game. It's kind of mindless. I really do like mindless Doom games. <laughs> do, you, do you know what also Raven Software worked on? A segue. Raven Software worked on Star Trek Elite Force. They did work on Star Trek Elite Force, which was one of my recently plays many moons ago. That's true. It's true. And it segues nicely with our episode today, where we'll be talking about Star Trek, but not Star Trek the Elite Force. No, we're not going to talk about Star Trek Elite Force. We could probably do a whole episode on Elite Force and Elite Force 2. For our listeners who are listening, Star Trek Elite Force is a Star Trek-themed game set in the Star Trek Voyager world, and it's a first-person shooter, and it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. I I would say it's a lot of fun. I'm going to say like 70% for me is nostalgia, but it's still, I still think it's a solid game. I, uh, I had a good time replaying Elite Force 1. I did not have a good time playing Elite Force 2 because I don't know if it was my co- like my version of the game, which was totally legit, or if it's just a bad game, but it froze in a section of the game and it caused me to have to repeat an entire mission. Oh, that's not, that's not good. Especially with it was like I was like halfway through the mission and it was like, I just nothing happened. All the NPCs stopped talking to me. It's <laughs> good. Usually when I count to that type of situation in games i just killed the pc npc i think that's what i ended up doing but after like 15 minutes of trying to figure out what i did wrong anyway so today we are talking about some star trek games we're actually going to be talking about a few star trek has a massive list of games under its belt but before we begin talking about those games i want to talk about star trek because listeners there might be one person out there who is not familiar with the widely successful american science fiction franchise Star Trek. So we're going to briefly go over it. Uh, It was created originally by Gene Roddenberry and debuted in 1966 on NBC. The original run, which cleverly enough was retroactively renamed the original series, ran for three seasons before it was canceled in 1969. The show followed the USS Enterprise, a starship that was helmed by Captain James T. Kirk and his crew. Each episode, they would get caught up in a different weird adventure and they usually punched a lot of people. Uh, Mostly Kirk punched a lot of people. Other people didn't really punch anyone. It was mostly Kirk doing the punching. We had a book at one point in time that talked about the... It was like the Visual Dictionary, right? The Visual Dictionary of Star Trek. And it was... Do you remember? It was like a red book, and you could open it up, and you could look at this. Dead still has that. Dead probably still has it. It's in his Uh, Star Trek shrine. In that book, there is a conversation uh, with some writers on the show, and there was apparently a new writer and one of the veteran writers who were hanging out writing episodes. I don't even know if they were writing episodes for the original series or if they were writing episodes for TNG. Regardless, Gene Roddenberry walked in and gave them a whole bunch of like advice on the show and then left. Like he was like, he came in, he was like, hey, you're writers. Hey, this is how about we do something like this, something like this. And the writers were like, oh, yeah, okay, sounds good. And he left. And the new writer was like, all right, cool. We're going to incorporate that stuff from Gene Roddenberry. And the uh, veteran writer's like, no, that's all garbage. (laughs) 
<laughs> they're like he is not good <laughs> at anything regarding creative yeah which like to be fair it wasn't gene's thing to be the writer he right. created the show and then kind yeah, of he was very similar to george lucas <laughs> yeah he had some creative control especially in the early days but as we will briefly touch upon did not have that creative control for much longer than those early days so the show was actually like i mentioned canceled in 1969 mostly just due to poor ratings it was a cool show and we fondly remember it but when it originally had its start through 1966 to 1969 it wasn't really successful it actually didn't become successful until it hit syndication where other channels started showing it all the time i also i think star trek is so it was a weird show for that time which is why it was not successful it also i think was one of the first shows that really did well in syndication and really made like syndication like a thing i think that's true i mean that might not be like that might not be like a set in stone thing but i think we could argue that that's true now the show did see rebirth in 1973 as star trek the animated series which ran until 1974 so you got a solid year down and features some of the worst animation i've ever seen in my entire life mostly because early star trek is not really action heavy it's a lot of times just people talking i mean even next generation is not really action heavy it's a lot of times just people talking setting that to animation it's just you have like like you sometimes just have these like solid cells of like kirk and spock and all they're doing for like five minutes is just moving their mouths and their arms and nothing else that's good (laughs) because they're just having a conversation so after the show was canceled in the late 70s largely thanks to a little little movie series called star wars and a little successful film called close encounters of the third kind star trek entered into the world of movies with the first film star trek the motion picture being released in 1979 it didn't do very well in fact it made a decent amount of money but it was considered mostly a flop by the studio so roddenberry actually lost control of the future movies in the star trek franchise a few years later in 1982 the sequel came out wrath of khan which made a lot of money because it was a lower budget movie So because it was lower budget, they were able to make back their money and actually more because it became a relatively successful movie. And that really revitalized the franchise with, in 1987, the next show, Star Trek The Next Generation premiering on TV. Which, by this time, with the influx of sci-fi, Star Trek The Next Generation was going up and we went from the mid to late 60s to the late 80s. So your television is now appealing to an entire different audience and this audience was excited about sci-fi so similar to the previous show the original series star trek next generation also takes place on the uss enterprise Uh, but this was set more in the future than the original show because obviously captain kirk is not the captain anymore and it is now captain jean-luc picard the next generation series did much better than the original series did in ratings and success for the network instead of getting canceled after three seasons it ran for seven seasons it also would eventually get four movies set in the timeline and a spin-off that would set up the next series in the franchise star trek Deep Space Nine. Now, Deep Space Nine was not about the Enterprise for once. And it was instead <laughs> of, and it was instead about a space station, and it's called Deep Space Nine. 
And interestingly enough, so on the space station, there you get conflicts. They introduce, I don't know if they introduce, but the Bajorans and the Kardashians, not the Kardashians, the Kardashians. <laughs> yeah, not keeping up with them too much. They, they're, they're involved uh, more in the base station politics. And Deep Space Nine takes the Star Trek series and turns it into a drama. So Mm. previous Star Trek, the original series, and Star Trek The Next Generation weren't necessarily action, but they were about exploration and adventure. And so you would have them exploring new planets, encountering new aliens. And Deep Space Nine was like, nope, same station, very little space flight. And we're going to have like a bar where people are going to hang out at and where Quark runs it. And there's going to be like murders and mysteries and like politics and intrigue all happening on the space station which is cool it's a really cool idea yeah, for Star Trek. Show. and it shows the ability to take an intellectual property and do a different genre within the same universe after deep space nine uh came star trek voyager where we went back to a ship in space and it uh was a science vessel called voyager and it gets lost and they go and proceed to try to get unlost for a few seasons <laughs> for a, a long seasons there's a lot of them how many voyager had also seven deep space nine also had seven <laughs> they, they were consistent so that's like the a run of star trek is seven seasons so the notable thing about star trek voyager was that uh Catherine janeway was the captain and she was the first female protagonist captain in the series previously the commander of deep space nine and the captains of the Enterprise were all men. So having uh, Catherine Janeway um, being the captain was was cool because it was a female. Overall, Voyager is a a fun, campy show, but uh, I, I don't know if it can go up against the next generation in comparison for quality, but I always enjoyed Star Trek Voyager. After Voyager was the prequel series Enterprise, and then Star Trek took a break. Uh, had some movies that were done by J.J. Abrams. A new television series called Star Trek Discovery premiered in 2017, and then a sequel to The Next Generation called Picard premiered in 2020, starring Patrick Stewart reprising his role of Jean-Luc Picard for the umpteenth millionth time. There is also also out there in the universe a comedic cartoon series that is airing today called Lower Decks and there are also a few newer shows that are planned for the release in the future. Anyway, we have gone on far too long about Star Trek itself and I'm sure Zach will cut up this a bit more than usual and we're going to talk about actual Star Trek video games and we're going to as we alluded to earlier in the episode there's a lot of Star Trek video games out there. We're not going to talk about the first Star Trek video games out there. We're not going to talk about the last Star Trek video games out there we're going to talk about some star trek video games that happened in the middle and they were an interesting collection of games and, <laughs> um, so as seth said star trek was no stranger to video games and some of the earliest games that were released were text adventures for computers like the pdp 10 or the apple however most of these games also were either not official or were just flat out knockoffs so i was looking at like a list of star trek games throughout history just as a curiosity sake a lot of them aren't even called star trek but they're still listed on the Star Trek list of games. So there's like Galaxy Trek, Star Explorer. They're all just very generic star names. Uh, there were a few licensed games that did come out in those early days, however, like the mouthful of a name, Star Trek Strategic Operations Simulator, which came out in arcades in 1983, uh, which was released by Sega and is a space combat simulation game. 
where you control various functions of the starship. So we're only going to really focus though on four games, mostly because they are games that we either have experienced or played, or also because our thing is doing niche. And these games, they might not be niche, but they are, they're interesting. In 1991, Star Trek turns or turned 25 years old. At this time in 91, as we kind of alluded, the original series was already off the air. Next Generation was on the air and was four years into its eventual seven-year run. Uh, There was also five motion pictures that have been released. And in 1991, Star Trek VI was released. A lot of Star Trek stuff has gone on. The world is, is good. They know about it. And it would be the 25th anniversary of the original series of the original air date of the original series. So early 1992 comes not one, not two, but three entirely different games with all the same name. Three games, all titled Star Trek 25th Anniversary. And what a name for a game that is. So, the first of these games was, well, I don't know if it was the first that was out, it was the first we're going to talk about, is a game, (laughs) though, according to the box art, it was the first because on the box art, so there was a Game Boy game, an NES game, and an MS-DOS game. And the box art has Kirk and the Enterprise on it. And the Game Boy game just has Kirk and just the Enterprise. The NES game has Kirk, the Enterprise, and what appears to be a superimposed Spock, giving the Vulcan live long and prosper symbol. And finally, the PC version has Kirk, the Enterprise, what probably is a Klingon warbird, Spock, and Dr. McCoy all on the uh, on the cover. So yeah, it, it's we assume gradually they, gains more friends. I don't know if they're friends. He gains more employees. <laughs> <laughs> Gates more co-workers. Gates more co-workers. I don't know if anyone's friends with Kirk, but anyway, the the first game that we're going to talk about is the, the Game Boy version. It was developed by a company called Visual Concepts and published by another company called Ultra. And this particular Star Trek game follows the adventures of of Captain James T. Kirk. Uh, Now, the gameplay is split into two different types of game styles. There is a horizontal shoot-em-up where you, I say, drunkenly pilot the Enterprise left to right across the screen, blasting things that had to get in your way, which primarily involve asteroids or Klingons, and as you would as flying the Enterprise. After each of these shoot-em-up sections, you play an away mission, and this is where you play in a top-down adventure game that kind of reminds me of Yoda stories and is probably just as dull. Uh, <laughs> you, have, you have to use a tricorder to find parts of a device called the disruptor and as you find them you encounter creatures on these away missions and you can stun them and there's also block rocks that you can shoot and destroy and sometimes your crew members will call you to harass you and then you go back to the shoot 'em up sections and that's how the gameplay goes you do you are able to pilot your own way through in a top-down section where you decide to drive the Enterprise wherever you go, and you get to pick the three different shoot 'em up sections, and those have three corresponding away missions where you find three different parts of the Disruptor, and then you fight the boss, and the end boss is called the Doomsday Machine, and which is another shoot 'em up section. And there's a large boss creature that comes from the right, and you shoot it from the left, and then you win. And the admiral calls you and says, "Good job." And <laughs> that's 
that's the Star Trek for the Game Boy. Uh, the game is pretty bad. Uh, in fact, in the June 1992 issue of N-Force, N being for Nintendo, oh. uh, the game was given a rating of a 46%, which, as we know, is enough. I have not had the pleasure of actually playing this game in the original form on the Game Boy. I did have the pleasure of watching somebody play on YouTube. And if you like green graphics, just buckle up. It's what you're going to get. Um, it's like very Game Boy green and it is super formula. Like. Nice. Um, but yeah, if it's anything so like Yoda stories, I'm sure I would love it. I'm I'm sure you'd like to just search empty zones looking for a disruptor while occasionally stunning the enemy. I, you can't even kill them, which I guess I mean Star Trek. So. so around the same time, a game came out for the Nintendo Entertainment System. This one was developed by Interplay and also published by Ultra Games. Now, for those of you who might not remember, and Seth forgot to touch upon this in his little Game Boy spiel, but Ultra Games is a subsidiary of Konami. Oh, uh, we right. actually talked about that in our last episode with Matt. Um, so as Matt explained, Ultra Games was set up by Konami because Nintendo had a five games per year limit with their third-party developers. So Konami got around that by setting up kind of shell subsidiaries that they could That's publish right. games under so they could technically get past Nintendo's loop, uh, Nintendo's guidelines. Which is on the Game Boy game, it actually on the cover, it says distributed by Konami. <laughs> Yeah. Now, the game itself has nothing to do with the Game Boy version and is an entirely different game. So in the game, you play as James T. Kirk, similar to in the Game Boy game. I mean, he is the captain of the Enterprise, so you got to play as him. And you're able to lead um, your own away mission using your choice of members in the uh, party. So this can include McCoy, Spock, or even just some random red shirts who you know are going to die. And the game plays out over a series of away missions in a graphical adventure style that plays from a top-down perspective. Now, the, there are some kind of like, I would almost call them cinematic portions of the game where you watch cutscenes. In these cutscenes, the art style is really, really cartoonish. It's not even like the Star Trek animated series cartoonish. It's just bad. The characters kind of look like paper dolls. And actually, looking at a picture of Kirk and Spock next to each other now, it kind of reminds me of Beavis and Butthead, just in like the proportions of the characters. The the characters themselves in the game, away from the cutscenes, also just look awkward. They kind of Seth says they also kind of look like paper dolls. I think they look like colored blobs. Uh, <laughs> so I don't think they look like much, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, Kirk kind of looks like Kirk if it, but he also kind of just looks like a dude in a yellow shirt. And I could, I didn't even know that was Spock in the picture I'm looking at. I thought that was a flower. <laughs> so <laughs> their head, their faces are weird. The the art style is bad overall. Just period. The game does not have any flying spaceship parts, so you don't get to drunkenly pilot the Enterprise. And the adventure sequences are a bit more robust, I would say, in terms of the Game Boy game, because the NES game is certainly probably a little more capable than the Game Boy was able to put out at the time. Now this. Game game actually scored a little better, at least according to Nintendo Power, um, who rated the game in October of 1991 a 4 out of 5. To be fair, Nintendo Power rated a lot of games 
that were very bad with very good ratings. So I don't <laughs> trust Nintendo Power, but I will say, I will say that is a better that is a better score than the Game Boy version, which did not so well. It's a definitely like actiony uh, a little more involved than the Game Boy Away missions. I feel like uh, uh, both of the both the Game Boy version and the NES version will run you about an hour of playtime, give or take. But it should clock in about an hour worth of content. Now, for for Game Boy game, I will say that's not bad. An hour worth of content for a Game Boy game, not bad. You only really want to be playing a Game Boy game probably for about an hour, depending on the game. For an S ga- NES game, that is that is atrocious. <laughs> I mean. NES games, they're not, they shouldn't be like eight hours long, but like, I want a more than an hour worth of gameplay for a game that came out at that time. I mean, I think Super Mario Brothers takes a little more than an hour to beat. Zelda certainly can take more than an hour. That is, that's not, that's not ideal. Finally, around the same time, Interplay, who developed the NES version, they also went and developed a separate Star Trek game for the MS-DOS and published it themselves. They said, you know what? We're just going to do it. And we're just going to do it ourselves. And this game would eventually get ported to the Mac OS in 93, the Amiga in 94, and a CD-ROM version for the MS-DOS would come out in 94 as well. And in this game, I'll give you a hint. You are playing as... James T. Kirk. And this game, similar to the Game Boy game, is broken up in a spaceship section and an away mission section. The spaceship section is pretty cool. It takes place, you're on the bridge and you control the ship from the large view screen. And then you proceed through dialogues and make choices and have inventory items that you collect and all sorts of stuff like that. The away missions are a point and click adventure game. So the top down view and all that stuff's not here. It's uh, a dialogue heavy adventure game which makes sense for star trek which is a dialogue heavy television show and the game was originally released on three and a half inch floppy disks though when it was released later on cd-rom it became fully voice acted including many of the actors from the original series who needed work, including Leonard Nimoy. So you can get Leonard Nimoy's voice in this original game, or in the the MS-DOS game. Nice! The game also received a sequel in 1993, and that sequel was released on CD-ROM and Mac in 95, called Star Trek judgment rights and that's rights like the ritual right not rights like i have the right and the gameplay is kind of just continuing off of the point and click adventure from the previous game however this time you could just skip the space fighting entirely and just stick with the adventure portion of the game so together the pc star trek 25th anniversary combined with the sequel star trek judgment rights sold more than 300,000 copies by April of 1994, ultimately selling over 350,000 units. Uh, The games on the PC are, yeah, the games on the MS-DOS system were considered a commercial success. The MS-DOS game version scored pretty well, uh, mostly four out of five stars or high 90%. Uh, through various different scorings beyond just Nintendo Power. However, it it was ported to the Amiga, though the Amiga port was not done well, or the Amiga system didn't take to it well, and scores ended up dipping a little bit on the Amiga, mostly due to performance issues for the port being bad. So it wasn't necessarily about the bad game, it was about the juddering or the bad graphical errors or something like that, which, to be fair, is part of getting a game to a... a device is 
porting it correctly if you're going to port a game. Now, moving on from Star Trek 25th Anniversary, um, we did want to touch upon one game from Seth and my childhood that personally I can't find a ton of information on. So I think it, we just wanted to shoehorn it in here at the end because there's really very few other chances we'll get to talk about it. And that game is uh, a Deep Space Nine game. It's called Star Trek Deep Space Nine Crossroads of Time, which is a ridiculously long name for a game. So in 1995, largely thanks to Star Trek's newest series, Deep Space Nine, we got an adventure game for the Genesis and Super Nintendo Star Trek Deep Space Nine Crossroads of Time. So we say adventure game a lot. So like the NES version was like an action adventure. There was more shooting and dodging versus adventuring. The MS-DOS game was for real in a point-and-click adventure, heavily story, all that. The Deep Space Nine Crossroads of Time is like an adventure game, but primarily a platformer. <laughs> Yes, yeah, yeah. It is certainly, it's actually kind of heavy in the platforming department. The game was developed by Novo Trade International and published by Playmates Interactive. Now, Novo Trade, I was kind of curious about this company because the name sounded familiar and it was familiar to me because I've played a good chunk of the games that they've developed because they developed a lot of games for the Sega Genesis, especially a lot of licensed games. Growing up with a Sega, when you are a young child and you want to play a video game, you're probably more likely to pick up the licensed title than you are to pick up up the original title because children know what licensed titles are and sometimes we'll see an original title and be like don't know what that is for example they created the batman and robin game that was on the sega genesis which is a great game they also created exo squad which was also a great game they did garfield caught in the act another great game and they actually did do the original title echo the dolphin and its sequels which all those titles uh, i think we've either owned or i've played at least at some point on the Sega. Uh, so in the game, uh, you play as various members of the Deep Space Nine crew. Primarily, though, you are playing as Commander Sisko. You do play as other characters, but like 90% of the time you're playing as Sisko. Some of the other characters you do play as are Dr. Bashir, Major Kira, Odo, and, and that's it. <laughs> Odo, though, fun fact, is a shapeshifter. So when you play as Odo, you can shapeshift. Um, you can really only shapeshift into one other thing, which is a small little rat creature. And you can use that rat creature to get inside all the air vents, which is fun. So the game plays on stages that feel kind of like cross sections of the space station. And you use elevators to, to get from one floor to the next. Um, or I think there's like one stairwell in the entire main level. Now, there are two types of stages of Deep Space Nine. There is the adventure levels, where you talk to NPCs and progress the plot, and action levels, essentially away missions, where you actually do the stuff like platforming, 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 and shooting guys with lasers. <laughs> As the name implies, at one point in time, you do go back in time. Uh, the game is split into five different missions, and there is an epilogue. The first mission, you go into the lower pylons of the space station and have to disarm invisible bombs, which is difficult. Yes. Oh, you also are timed. And I think at one point in time, the time limit is not really shown, so you can waste time and not know that you are wasting time. Also, let's not forget, if you die at any point in time in the action phase you then have to go back to the adventure phase and talk to every single npc in order to trigger the action phase again so it's a pain in the butt 
to die in the game because if you die you have to then go talk to the 20 npcs that led you to the start of the action phase anyway i'm not bitter or anything after that there is a, a space section where you fly the defiant and you end up going through some sort of wormhole in an asteroid field bringing back shoot 'em ups of uh the age or with like a horizontal shoot 'em up action you eventually go to bajor and on bajor bajor bajoran i think it's bajor i don't know it's a fictional planet in a fictional world on bajor you do more platforming and you go to a temple and i think that's where you then eventually go back to time and then you go you the the game ends with you going on to the kardashian ship deep space nine crossroads of time overall scored fairly well in its initial release uh the game was ranked 710 for both the SNES and Genesis by the Electronic Gaming Monthly magazine, and that's going to be true. However, the most critical reviews came from a, a magazine ironically titled Next Generation, which gave the MS-DOS version of Star Trek 25th Anniversary a 4 out of 5 stars. However, they called Deep Space Nine slow pace, boring, and will only be a minor interest to Deep Space Nine freaks which i don't know i to this day have only played i have watched a few episodes of deep space nine when i was a child i did not watch any episodes of deep space nine but i played a lot of deep space nine crossroads in time and got pretty far i remember going back in time i don't think i i might have been in the game i feel like i'm recalling the titles like the credits scene and i'm recalling a number of the levels i was recently actually playing through it again and i got to the part where you have to defuse the bombs which is the beginning but uh, <laughs> it was extremely frustrating because you have to find these invisible bombs and then throw them out before they explode. I loved uh, Crossroads of Time, so I do take a lot of umbrage with the, that review. I also did not watch any Deep Space Nine as a child. I started watching Deep Space Nine in college, and I remember when I first watched Deep Space Nine and the theme came up, I was like, wow, this is the same song from the Sega Genesis game Crossroads of Time. <laughs> So to me, it was like I was listening to an orchestrated rendition of one of my favorite video game themes. It was very nice. I also probably, I never got as far as Seth did in, in uh, Crossroads of Time because I really liked just running around the adventure stage. I would just run around that adventure stage for hour listening to some of the best music that the Sega Genesis had to offer at that time. That music is so good and so un like does not fit with Deep Space Nine <laughs> that it's just it's so it's it's great music. I'm going to put it in at the end cuz I love that music so much. And yeah, at the time I was playing that game, I didn't know anything about Deep Space Nine. I knew about Star Trek. I knew about Voyager and and uh, probably next generation, but I I didn't watch Deep Space Nine, so I think that review was a little mean. I want to give some instructions to our listeners here. When you listen to the end of our podcast, to the outro, which will have the Deep Space Nine Sega Genesis music in it, just picture in your mind a 16-bit sprite of Commander Sisko leaping forward <laughs> in the air with his feet propelled whenever he jumped he like when he jumped forward he always like kicked his both of his feet forward like he's going for the long jump everywhere just picture that in your mind when you listen to the music it, it fit it's a perfect encapsulation of my childhood which also was Zachary's childhood but in a different uh, a different body all right so that is Star Trek do 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 
At least the 25th anniversary in Deep Space Nine. Star Trek's a pretty big intellectual property, and there's a lot of video games. So it's not our, it is our first Star Trek episode, but it won't be our last. That's right. That's right. We, we definitely will talk about Star Trek again. We'll probably even do a whole thing on Elite Force because those games are great. Let's now get into our buy, wait, pass segment of the show where we're going to talk about games that we are excited about buy, waiting, or passing on. Well, I'm excited about a game called Black Geyser Couriers of Darkness, which is being developed by Grace Grape Grape Ocean Technologies, which sounds like a company that's going to explore the sea and not necessarily develop a game. But regardless, uh, it was crowdfunded and it's a isometric party-based fantasy RPG inspired by by the classics like Baldur's Gate and Icewind Dale and Planescape Torment and all my favorites. You recruit a, char- a bunch of characters with unique personalities and explore a land ravaged by civil war and a mysterious curse. And you will have choices that are positive or negative, good or evil or lawful or chaotic when you help decide the fate of the kingdom that the game takes place in. Uh, it it was uh, This game comes at a weird place. It's coming out and uh, it should be released in uh, August 26th of 2021, which may be soon, uh, depending on pod time, I will be almost married, however, on that date when it comes out. So I probably will not play it initially when it comes out because I will probably be being prepared to get married. But oh yeah, you get married. You will also be, I will be getting married two days after Black Geyser Couriers of Darkness comes out. So I will let my fiance know that two days from this game release, we will be married. But this game was served to me as an ad on Google. So Google News told me that this game was working on reviving the classics and versus like what Larry is doing with Baldur's Gate 3 being more like uh, 3D uh, visuals. This is going to be more sprite-based, isometric type of deal. So I am interested in this game. I'm going to put it down. I'm going to put it down as a wait, to be honest. I'm probably going to ultimately buy this game. It depends on the MSRP as it comes out. I'm also going to depend on like, I'm just going to see like what initial reviews are. I got burned on a couple of these games that are supposed to be the isometric RPG killer of all so i don't want to get my hopes up but uh i'm definitely watch listing it out and keeping an eye out nice what about you well seth the game that i'm interested in buying waiting or passing on is a game called fallen aces fallen aces is a first person shooter crime noir game that uses kind of sprite based graphics so i would call it almost like doom style It's not being made in the Doom engine, but it's kind of got that vibe to it. In the game, you play as a person who is part of a group called the Aces, who are described as the guardians of a place called Switchblade City. Your fellow Aces are being killed off one by one, so you have to figure out who is responsible. Looks a lot of fun. I I love the idea of a noir first-person shooter. The aesthetic uh, in particular, I'm actually a big fan of because the graphics are being done almost like like comic book style. Um, It actually kind of reminds me of like Archer in terms of the way that the the characters are drawn. So it looks really fun. Uh, I'll probably put it down as a wait. It's being published by New Blood, who also published Dusk. So, um, you know, it's got to be good. It's apparently due out, quote unquote, soon, trademark. So who knows? Who knows when it will be due? But yeah, I'll probably put it down as a wait. I want to keep an eye on it for sure. So I'll probably wishlist it, keep an eye on it see how it's doing when it comes out and maybe make a decision then 
but it's certainly a game to keep an eye on. You missed the chance to play the demo of it. The demo of it was they available did. when they did the demos. Yeah, I, I didn't definitely miss the looked at this. I looked at this game and was like, "Hmm, this is interesting." Uh, so maybe it, there's a single player though, right? Yeah, kind of reminds me of Thirteen's art style. It does. That's one of the reasons uh, I actually put it down. Uh, as oh, a, because you're like I like Thirteen. I like Thirteen's art style. I actually haven't played Thirteen. I just own it. The original or the remastered? God gave it out for free, and you messaged me and said Thirteen is free, so I grabbed it. That's an original, so that's better. It's apparently better than the remastered version. Anyway, I'll carry us through well everyone you've reached the end of our podcast we appreciate you staying through it all the way to the very end and if you've listened to this episode or if, if you've listened, i hope you did if you're listening to this now <laughs> but if, i mean you could have slept i guess you could put us on before you go to sleep that's fine we, we would take no shame in that there are three things our core tenants listening to us supporting us and contacting us so if you want to listen to the show as stated previously you're already listening to it now uh you can also look through any of your podcast listening agents such as spotify stitcher or itunes you can find us all at all those different locations you can also go to our website which is classicgamingbrothers.com and you can go over to our lounge and you can just listen to us with the browser open and while you're there if you want to you there there is our shop we did introduce a new series of shirts called the blow series where it says that this podcast doesn't blow and it has a cartridge two cartridges one is an nes and one is an snes they're great they're hilarious but you don't have to buy them really truly the only real way that we ask you to support us is by listening and just tuning in next week and next week and next week and just joining us on this journey of listening to episodes or listen to episodes that you find are interesting and skip the ones that you don't like that's perfectly 100 acceptable if you're like wow they did an episode on i i don't even know what we did the episode on now a star trek <laughs> we just did an episode on star trek that's interesting i'll listen to that and then we release an episode and you're like wow they're doing an episode on the telstar system i could do without that's okay you can skip. <laughs> we never want to hold the commitment to it which is why all of our episodes can be enjoyed independently or as a series but we do try to keep inside jokes out of our podcast like reoccurring inside jokes like the titular character of jim rayner the jim rayners of inside jokes which is harking back to our starcraft episode that's a good inside joke <laughs> that is a good inside joke anyway you can also support us if you really want to go and support us you can always give us a, a rating on itunes it helps out our show it, it drives awareness which is a speak for more people will see it which is good so then maybe other people will stumble in and enjoy this thing that we do anyway you can also contact us you can contact us by sending an email to classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com you can also go to our website and fill out the form and it does it for you uh you can also send it to various other emails we own seth at classicgamingbrothers.com zach at classicgamingbrothers.com we own the at classicgamingbrothers domain so a, a lot of those things will generally go to us but don't just send important things to random things uh, generally try to use the ones that we say to use however there's also social medias that we have uh, we have a facebook an instagram a twitch and a twitter our facebook is at classic gaming brothers our instagram is at classic gaming brothers our twitch is twitch tv slash classic gaming brothers and our twitter is 
CG Brothers Pod. So you can follow all those. We'll announce when our episodes release. We will one day play Twitch again, probably after August. I'm going to be perfectly honest. If this is August, I don't know when this episode's coming out. It may be in August. It'll be after this episode airs, so maybe soon. Probably after September, actually, because I'm going to be gone from a majority of September. Once again, I'm getting married. There's a bunch of things that get tied into that. So we're going to continue to release episodes uh, on Sunday, even while we are busy because we like to get episodes to you. So after September or so, we'll probably try and Twitch regularly, more regularly. We have some other projects that are in the pipeline, pretty exciting ones that we're we're looking forward to once we get finalized stuff for those. So with that, Zach, is there anything else I'm missing? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Zach. And I've been Seth. And we have been the classic gaming brothers. That's right. right. Two to be yeah, down. I, I, I still I still can't get over that Commander Cisco like leaping like an Olympic gymnast wherever he it's, goes. It's good. It's good.